Equip is what this year is all about. Like Jesus' disciples, we're going to be equipped on the way by learning from Luke's gospel. We're going to have a pattern of preaching and weekly readings with extra resources to dive deeper into this wonderful account of Jesus' life. We're picking up Jesus' birth in Advent and his death and resurrection during Holy Week. Apart from that, we're following sequentially through the whole of the book. It's going to be a great year. So let's turn now to our reading, which is from Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Judea and Trachonitis, and Lysantius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all peoples will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share them with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the, strapped, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he'd done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. As he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Luke starts his orderly account of Jesus' ministry, locating the time in world history. 
He names seven political and religious leaders in this introduction, most of whom you noticed I struggled to pronounce. It is in this moment of history that the word of God comes to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Do you expect God to speak in this moment of history? We need that, don't we? The location for where this takes place is the desert around the Jordan River. The Jordan River formed a rift valley and that was one of the main trade routes that people went up and down. It was called the Way of the Sea going from north to south. And also pilgrims would go from Jericho to Jerusalem and back along that way. And it's there that John preaches this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke references the Isaiah prophecy, as do the other gospel writers. But Luke adds in that every valley will be filled in, every rough, rough place smooth, referencing that when a king came to a new place, often the path in would be leveled out, rather like that red carpet going down. And that was a preparation for the arrival of the king. That preparation is a leveling off. And yes, in the reality of that context, that's a physical leveling. But we can also understand that as a leveling off of people's hearts. John is that preparation for the one who is to come for all people. Along with the repeating themes of repentance and forgiveness, this reality that God's salvation is for all people is something that we see throughout Luke's gospel. However, here, the people who come out to see John are those who see Abraham as their father. So they are Jewish people. John is an archetypal prophet. Prophets say things and act in ways that take you right out of your comfort zone. Prophets demand an active response. Think Greta Thunberg over the climate crisis or David Attenborough over the planet with his latest series called Extinction. John doesn't hold back. He calls the people a brood of vipers. He's lived in the desert for most of his life and he likens the people to snakes escaping from a desert bush fire. Who told you to flee from the coming wrath? He challenges them to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't rely on the old customs, the old ways, or sit back on your laurels. We have Abraham as our father. We know where we come from. Don't do that, says John. God isn't reliant on you. He can raise up his own children, even from the stones around you. Fruit needs to be shown alongside repentance. These are hugely challenging words from John the Baptist. And it is to the crowd's credit that in responding to the power of John's words, the anointing on his words, that they respond saying, what should we do then? What should we do then? His response is super simple, very straightforward. Turning to God means living differently. So he says to them, share with people. If you have a superfluity of shirts, share with one who doesn't. If you have food, give that to somebody in need. Pay attention to those in need and act in response to that. 
Then he says, tax collectors, don't collect more than you're required to. Soldiers, don't make unwarranted gain. Don't abuse the powers of the office you have. Be content with your pay. All that advice is appropriate for the workplaces we're in and for our everyday life. It's simple and straightforward, isn't it? John's answers reveal a recognition that each calling in life has its own temptations. And it is the mark of the truly penitent, those turning to God, to resist those temptations and act in the opposite way. He gives the people who come, ordinary people, the same command. Renounce your besetting sin. Turn from that. Repent. As people continue to come to John's baptism, the question arises, is this the promised Messiah? Again, John is super clear. I baptize you with water, but there is one coming, the straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. Now, servants in those days didn't even tie, untie somebody's sandals. So John is saying, I'm even lower than that. He speaks of the one who is to come as the one who is baptizing with the Holy Spirit and the one who's empowered to judge and separate the wheat from the chaff. John is really clear that we should live in the light of an awareness of God's coming and his judgment. And there's good news in that. Acts 19 Chapter 19, verse 4, makes it clear that John's baptism is not complete in itself, but points to faith in Jesus. John calls the humble to prepare for God's powerful coming. And after John's ministry comes a manifestation of power, the salvation of God. Salvation is available to all and resides in Jesus. John exhorts the people. He proclaims the good news to them of the coming Messiah. The good news that Luke points out is to all people. John is representing the attitude of God that all human beings are the same. They are all need, in need of forgiveness, all in need of a father's love, all in need of a welcome into his heavenly family. Therefore, all need the message of repentance and forgiveness. We find ourselves in exactly the same condition. It's a great leveler. We all need to return to our loving Father. We all need to be part of the heavenly family. That's what John is exhorting people to return to. Then Luke puts in this aside. John exhorts the people, but he rebukes Herod the Tetrarch, whose marriages had broken up other marriages. And marrying his brother's, brother's wife was against the Levitical law. And alongside this and the other evil things that Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, had done, he locked John in prison. There is a marked difference between the people's response, what should we do then? and Herod's response to John's rebuke. Herod takes offence at what he's been challenged with and reacts violently against it. 
So it is return and repent that John is preaching. Baptism for forgiveness of sins. He's pointing to the future Messiah, the King, the anointed one. And here, coming along the highway, along with the crowds, is Jesus. The promised salvation draws near. The waiting for the Messiah is over. Jesus, who is described in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, as without sin, is baptised. Jesus prays. He shows right at the start of his ministry, he's willing to align himself with humanity. He's willing to stand with us, to take on the sin that is around in people's lives and the world. He takes that on himself. And as he stands in solidarity with us, and as he submits to the baptism of John, praying, heaven opens, the Holy Spirit comes on him. There is the anointing of the king that heralds the kingdom. There's the voice from heaven. This is the son whom I love. The father's voice of affirmation for who Jesus is, God's son. So what can we learn from this passage and apply to our lives? Well, it starts with a hard question, the challenge that John brings. Don't just rely on the past faith you have saying you're Abraham's children. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I was uh, challenged uh, last week by John McGinley's talk. We had a guest speaker, you can hear that online on our website. And I was challenged because John repeatedly told stories in the present, in the now, of when he's had opportunities to pray for people and to share his faith. So that was a moment for me. I thought, how, how much am I relying on past stories? That was a question. So I shared that with John and Martin, who was uh, with him, and they prayed for me, and they prayed for boldness. And I asked that, we asked the Holy Spirit to fill me with boldness. Well, yesterday, my hairdresser arrived. Yes, you've probably noticed there's something different about me today. And... At the very, very beginning, she started to talk about how anxious she was about COVID. And before I knew what was happening next, I said, well, let me pray for you about that. And she looked a bit surprised because I'd never done that before in our conversation so far. And I prayed, I kept it short and simple. You'll be glad to know. I have no idea what impact that was. I asked for the peace of Jesus to be received into her life. Um, that's something I received myself, and I really hope and pray that's what uh, is happening to her this week. But I have no idea what happened in the moment. We went on to the haircut. But the point is that I realised something needed to change, that I asked somebody to pray for me, and then it was the Holy Spirit that gave me the boldness to step into that moment. Further question for us this morning. Is there a pattern in your life, in my life, of returning to God regularly? Bringing those places where, using Isaiah's imagery, perhaps a mountain of pride has built up and we need to repent of that. Or where a valley of disappointment has overwhelmed us, has perhaps turned us to cynicism. Or where we've gone on a crooked path where we know we're not on God's way. 
These things seep into our lives, the attitudes and actions that aren't of God. They can creep up on us. Maybe not as blatant as Herod's actions, but yet it's clear from scripture that that's not the way to go. We have to return to God daily. So do we have that daily pattern of returning to God, repenting, that change of mind, that change of heart, confessing those things, those attitudes and actions, and then receiving the forgiveness of God in Jesus. We don't have to sit with those things. We can repent, give them to God, and receive that extravagant exchange in Jesus of freedom, joy, and forgiveness. The important reality is of this good news is that we have a father who wants to forgive us. In whatever condition we find ourselves, we can always come back to him. A further question to apply to our lives today. Do we act with integrity in our workplaces? And as we live out our daily lives, are there small things that we can do to bring change? And finally, do we recognize as we return and repent that we need to receive the Holy Spirit? Do we actively receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus as King has won for us? The anointing of the Holy Spirit that Jesus received is available for us, as long with the identity that he has, the particularly particular identity he has as son of God, he shares with us as children of God, co-heirs with him. We need to receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that we can work in the kingdom of God. And we need to live our lives from that place of identity, knowing that we are dearly, dearly loved as God's children. Remembering that this good news is for everyone. Let's return. Let's repent. Let's receive.